This recording is a production of Faith Builders Educational Programs. This presentation was recorded at Teachers Week 2017, held at Faith Builders on August 1 through 4. Okay, day two, educating for the kingdom, creativity. You know, just a creative idea. We could save a lot of money at these gatherings if we just made the front row of chairs out of cardboard, since nobody sits on them anyway. Okay, in review, educating for the kingdom. Education means getting at the heart of the matter, the deeper whys and hows, and the kingdom calls us to action, not uh, sitting around like Pharisees arguing about the finer point, points of detail, but jumping into the rescue and living and loving compassionately. So as we move to consider creativity, let's start with a selection that displays uniformity and automation as an opposite of creativity. This is from A Wrinkle in Time by Madeleine L'Engle, an excerpt from chapter six. Below them, the town was laid out in harsh, angular patterns. The houses in the outskirts were all exactly alike, small square boxes painted gray. Each had a small rectangular plot of lawn in front with a straight line of dull-looking flowers edging the path to the door. Meg had a feeling that if she could count the flowers, there would be exactly the same number for each house. In front of all the houses, children were playing. Some were skipping rope, some were bouncing balls. Meg felt vaguely that something was wrong with their play. It seemed exactly like children were playing around any housing development at home, and yet there was something different about it. She looked at Calvin and saw that he too was puzzled. Look, Charles Wallace said suddenly, they're skipping and bouncing in rhythm. Everyone's doing it at exactly the same moment. This was so. As the skipping rope hit the pavement, so did the ball. As the rope curved over the head of the jumping child, the child with the ball caught the ball. Down came the ropes, down came the balls over and over again, up, down, all in rhythm, all identical, like the houses, like the path, like the flowers. Then the doors of all the houses opened simultaneously, and out came women like a row of paper dolls. The print of their dresses was different, but they all gave the appearance of being the same. Each woman stood on the steps of her house, each clapped, each child with the ball caught the ball. Each child with the skipping rope folded the rope. Each child turned and walked into the house. The doors clicked shut behind them. So, I have never forgotten that uh, selection ever since our teacher read it to us in story time in middle school. It's a clean, efficient, but somewhat disturbing picture. We have to admit that sometimes schools run better on efficiency, but we have to ask ourselves, better for whom? For the students who are full of energy that might be having it stifled, or for the adults who don't like to be bothered with noise and fuss? Now, granted, there's a certain amount of order that a classroom needs in order to run smoothly with so many people in it, and as a principal, I know this. But there is also a certain amount of time that needs to be allowed for creative play, recess, art, story, and some free time for younger students to explore other activities that are crucial to their development. 
So what is the perfect classroom? Consider this picture. What's missing? Anyone? Louder? Students. People. People are what brings a classroom to life. And people are uniquely created because God is creative. People are uniquely created because they are made in God's image. So, we're looking for the people classroom. We need people-centered classrooms, not product-centered, program-centered, or performance-centered. As we learned yesterday in our compassion session, a heart of compassion for each student is crucial in educating for the kingdom. And without compassion, you won't see the uniqueness of each individual and their creativity. But we also need a creative teacher for our creative people classroom. And I'd like to sh uh, show you quick examples of three different creative teachers rated as such by their students. And notice what their students say about them. I'm not quite sure how to say her name here, but Miss Jessica Betzabe Contreras Fuentes. Uh, her students said, one of her students said, she's the most amazing and creative teacher that I've ever had. Her soul is full of happiness. And she did sort of turn her entire class into a lab and do some creative and different things um, where the students weren't working from textbooks as much. They were doing inquiry-based learning. But notice happiness was the, what the student had to say. The next teacher, Ms. DeTorres, walks around and offers one-on-one -on -one and small group instruction and she experimented with new methods and ways of teaching class as well. But her students remember her as being helpful. Mrs. Michelle Blackwell, I personally credit this to her character, that is that she won a creativity award. She's funny, she's kind, she's very helpful, most important in a teacher, and she's inspiring. So when you sit there today and say, I'm not creative, you know, I know now that art teacher down the hall, she's creative, but I'm not creative. I want you to look at these. Uh, these are, by the way, all teachers that have won awards um, for being creative teachers. And notice what their students have to say about them. It struck me that there's something about their character here in each one of these testimonies. Happiness, helpfulness, and kind, inspiring. So don't underestimate uh, your character as being crucial to being creative. Uh, it's not just about putting on things for show. It's about being a creative teacher at the heart. And anybody can do it with hard work. You're made in God's image and you can become creative. In fact, there's a famous quote from Thomas Edison. Genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. So maybe you'll discover that as a teacher. God gives you one little creative idea, and the rest is hard work to make it su successful. And before we move on here, I'd like to define the term. I'll use this definition from Sir Ken Robinson. Creativity is the process of having original ideas that have value. So just for a definition for you as we're talking today about creativity. So some teachers, you know, like I said, down the hall, they, you know, they seem to have it naturally. They're just really creative. But 
Good things take time. Think of good, exciting science demonstrations and experiments that all students love. Three words come to mind. Time, time, time. It takes a lot of time to prepare and execute good science demonstrations. And uh, by the way, you should practice them ahead of time uh, to make sure they go successfully. And then even when you do blow up that hydrogen balloon uh, and you want to blow it up and so you take it outside to do it, uh, don't let it go and let it float into the air like I did the other year. Uh, that didn't work out so well. So I remember uh, Kyle introduced me here. I remember we went through TAP together and he had this experiment with the bed of nails. It was very impressive. Uh, not only, maybe you've been to a science museum where he lay on a bed of nails, and not only did he have a bed of nails, he had a bed of nails the other way on top and then cement blocks on top of that, and then there was a sledgehammer involved, and this was very exciting. But I know that Kyle spent hours pounding nails into a piece of wood in order to make that uh, demonstration successful and dramatic for the people that watched. So the next time you think, wow, that person is just really creative, remember they probably spent a lot of time preparing for that. So you're mostly all young teachers if you're in this session. I don't see uh, too, too much gray hair here in the, the new teacher session. So harness that energy and do something new this year. You can be creative because God created in you, you in his image to be creative. Sometimes teachers are too busy doing the same old thing to, be, to take the time to be creative. But I hope that after today, Jesus will inspire you to be creative and take the time to do that because it's something that's needed in our classrooms. Children are naturally curious and creative, but sometimes by the time they graduate, it's been studied and documented that that curiosity and creativity has decreased rather than increased. So let it be the other way in your classrooms. So we all want creative students at the end and we all know that we should probably be creative as teachers. What do we do in the middle? How do we get from being creative to expecting our students to end up being creative? So again, today, we're going to follow this format of looking at how did Jesus teach with creativity? How do others teach with creativity? And how can I teach with creativity? So first of all, how did Jesus teach with creativity? The first thing I note is he taught with a lot of object lessons. In Matthew 18, he held a little child. Um, the disciples rebuked him for spending, wasting so much time with children, but he brought a little ch uh, child up. One of our ministers just did this a couple of months ago and held a little child in his arms and demonstrated that for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he discussed childlike faith while holding a child. Another object lesson was washing his disciples' feet. He didn't say, be loving, be servants, you know, be good people. He got down on his knees, he took the towel, girded himself, knelt and washed their feet. And so we do this literally in our churches, but there might be some ways that you can do it to your students without actually washing their feet, but serving them. 
And the widow giving unselfishly in Mark 12, Jesus took the opportunity to say, hey, did you see that widow throw in her last mite? So Jesus often used the objects at hand uh, and around him to teach people. When he was by a well, he used water. After he fed 5,000 people bread, he taught them about the bread of life. When he was on a fishing boat, he said his kingdom was like a fishing net. He told his listeners to consider the lilies, sparrows, and hairs on their head. He referred to a fig tree, a mustard tree, yeast, salt, a vineyard, money, and other things from everyday life to reveal spiritual truth. When he spoke of a vineyard, he was probably by a vineyard. When he said, consider the sparrows, there were probably sparrows flying around. When he taught the parable of the sower, it's by no means a major stretch of the imagination to think that there was probably a sower in the field next to where Jesus was. So creative teachers are always using what's around them and always hauling things in from home from, for demonstrations and science, of course, but also devotions, Mexican food for social studies, a news article to illustrate the importance of commas or a decimal point. Creative teachers are always using what's on hand and sometimes calling their wife to bring it in because they forgot it. Moving on, Jesus also said and did things that were shocking and strange. For instance, he said, rip out your eyes in Matthew 5. And he also said, you know, you might have a log in your eye in Matthew 7. So did he really mean that? Did he mean, you know, would, would everybody be going around blind today if we took Jesus literally on this or amputating our hands? So he didn't mean that people literally had logs in their eyes. He was making a point. Jesus said things that shocked people and exaggerated the truth to emphasize his point. Another place in John 8, he wrote in the sand. And there's been many questions and debate about what he actually wrote in the sand there when the woman was caught in adultery. But he used um, what was at hand, and he did something strange. He wrote in the ground. Another place, he spit in the dirt, in the dirt, uh, John 9, before, there's two different places he used spittle before he healed a blind man. Uh, why did he spit and then heal with that? What was he trying to say and show? Very creative. He also told lots of parables and stories. Think about the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus could have taught, God loves you so much that he will welcome you back no matter how much sin you have committed. But he didn't just say something like that. He told a story that we remember. Um, Howard could have said, please quietly close your binders or wait till the end to do that. But he didn't. He, didn't, he came up with a little creative activity to do that the rest of us will remember uh, probably next year as well. So... The prodigal son, Luke 15. The good Samaritan, Luke 10. This cuts at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Can a preacher be late to church to preach on love because he stopped to help someone? Or can he actually go and preach if he didn't stop to help them? So, also the unforgiving servant, Matthew 18. 
If someone's forgiven you, forgive someone else. Don't go out and grab them by the throat. This hits home to all of us. How can you hold bitterness when in your heart when you've been forgiven so much? So Jesus could have said, don't be bitter. But he told a story that we all remember. So how do others teach with creativity? Well, thinking of the Good Samaritan story here, um, I remember one time personally, a few years back when I used that story to solve a problem. I was a fairly new principal and there was a substitute in one day. And true to form, the students tried something with the substitute. I forget exactly when it happened, but it, it fortunately it was over lunch break and I think after the students ate lunch, they went, before they went out to recess, they went back to the room and they didn't enjoy the seating arrangement that their normal teacher had. They were assigned to sit together and there was a boy and girl beside each other and then there was an aisle on either side and then more students. And so they went back and created one aisle in the center. Very creative idea. And so the girls could be with the girls and the boys with the boys and there was one aisle down the center. So the substitute walked back in the room after lunch. Apparently it took her longer to get back and she noticed that something was wrong, something was different. So she came and reported to me, what should she do? Well, what are you gonna do with a whole classroom of students who moved the desks? So I said, well, don't worry about it, just continue as normal, and when they come back in from recess, before story time, I'll show up. So I let them come back in, sit down, and then I showed up, and uh, I said, well, did you ever hear about the story of the Good Samaritan? And I proceeded to tell them a little bit about the story. And then I got to the moral of the story, which is everyone is your neighbor. And by this time, they were feeling a little warm under the collar, I suppose. And then I invited them to go back to their neighbors as they had been assigned. And that took care of the problem for that day. So be creative in your discipline. Um, if students know exactly what you're going to do the next time they misbehave, they might weigh whether it's worth it or not. But if they're not quite sure what you're going to come up with next time, um, they might think twice about misbehaving. Another story is about uh, Grace Living Center, and this is a selection from a book, Out of Our Minds. The challenge is not to take a single model to scale, it is to propagate the principles of creativity throughout education so that each school develops their own approaches to the challenges they face as a unique community. Often the simplest ideas can have a huge effect. Okay? So now in plain language, that was to say, don't try to imitate everything else that other creative people are doing. Come up with your own creative ideas in your environment. But here's an example from Oklahoma. One school uh, in the district of Tulsa entered into an unusual partnership with an institution across the street. The Grace Living Center is a retirement home. The supervisor of the center approached the school district to ask whether they could participate in the district's reading program. As a result, the district established an early years classroom in the foyer of the retirement home 
and this is now where a group of young children goes to school each day. At the center of the partnership is the Book Buddies program, in which members of the home spend time one-on-one -on -one listening to the children read and reading to them. The results have been remarkable. Over 70% of the children leave the program reading at grade three level or higher, outperforming many other children in the district. The reason, of course, is that they have had personalized teaching and coaching. Second, they are learning much more than reading skills through their relationship with members of the home. They are learning about the rich traditions of life in Oklahoma. Third, medication levels at the home have fallen dramatically. The senior citizens have a new reason to live and a new energy for their days. They have a purpose, but every now and then the children have to be told that one of the book buddies will not be coming back again because they have passed. So at this young age, the children are learning too about the natural cycles of life and death. In most education systems, people are segregated by age. This project shows what can happen when the generations are brought back together and reestablish some of their traditional relationships. So, maybe you don't have a retirement home right across the road or down the road from your school, but maybe you could travel to do that even if it wasn't as often. Or maybe that's just an idea to um, encourage you to come up with something that works in your environment. Another example is vegetable on the desk. This is simply an example of using mystery as a challenge. One teacher was out shopping uh, the night before school and she bought a bag of radishes for math class. And the next morning she put one radish on each student's desk before math class. And of course, you know the question. What are the radishes for? Well, she proceeded to teach the lesson and then she said, okay, what do you think the radishes are for? Oh my, they came up with all kinds of ideas of how you could use the radishes in math class. You could divide them up in fractions and you could, you know, all kinds of ideas they had of what they could do with the radishes. And that was all she had planned to make them think. Fake excuses. Frank McCourt. <clears throat> Isn't it remarkable, I thought, how the students whined and said it was hard putting 200 words together on any subject, but when they forged excuse notes, they were brilliant. The notes I had could be turned into an anthology of great American excuses. They, they were samples of talent never mentioned in song, story, or study. How could I have ignored this treasure trove? Here are some examples. The stove caught fire and the wallpaper went up and the fire department kept us out of the house all night. His sister's dog ate his homework and I hope it chokes him. We were evicted from our apartment and the mean sheriff said if my son kept yelling for his notebook, he'd have us all arrested. The writers of these notes didn't realize that honest excuse notes were usually dull, such as Peter was late because the alarm clock didn't go off. So one day I typed out a dozen excuse notes and distributed them to my senior classes. The students read them silently. Mr. McCourt, who wrote these? Asked one boy. You did, I said. I omitted names to protect the guilty. They're supposed to be written by parents, but you and I know the real authors. Yes, Mikey? So what are we supposed to do with them? Well, this is the first class to study the art of the excuse note. 
the first class ever to practice writing them. You're so lucky to have a teacher like me who has taken your best writing and turned it into a subject worthy of study. Everyone smiled as I went on. You didn't settle for the old alarm clock story. You used your imaginations. One day you might be writing excuses for your own children when they're late. So try it now. Imagine you have a 15-year-old who needs an excuse for falling behind in English. Let it rip. Five steps to creative teaching. Five principles to keep in mind if you want to be creative. First of all, connect your interests with your teaching. Sandra, a high school English teacher and recent National Teacher of the Year award winner said, outside pursuits always factor into your thinking about your classroom or your students. I think we teach who we are and I know I teach who I am. Whatever it is that interests you, that energy manifests itself creatively in the fabric of the classroom. So, I told you yesterday, I'm a firefighter. So I might use stories in math or science. Um, just this last spring, we were studying um, atmospheric pressure and we talked about pumping water. And the boys were interested in talking about how far you can pump water in a fire truck. Number two, link lessons to real world learning. One elementary teacher described how she often started the school day with a sky watch during which the kids collected weather data. When the first bell would ring, they would spread out in the school courtyard, talk about the clouds, humidity, and the weather, and wind direction, collect the scientific data. Later, the kids would go online and send the data to scientists at NASA. It was a project going on all over the world where kids were sending the information to scientists. So, go out and measure the height of a tree using the Pythagorean theorem in math class. Collect insects in science class. Number three, cultivate a creative mindset. If you're a teacher, you're always a teacher. You're never quite off duty. Adam, a middle school mathematics teacher noted, I'll often just be doing something else or seeing something happen and I'll think, well, how can I relate that to teaching? I'm always on the lookout for ideas. I've trained my mind to look at something and think about how it applies to teaching. So you're always a teacher, even in the summer, and you can be collecting ideas to use during the year. Value collaboration. Anytime you have multiple brains focusing on the same goal or idea, the potential is exponential. You can start brainstorming ideas and bouncing them off one another. The difficult part is making sure you have time for this. So value friends and feedback. If you have this crazy idea you're thinking about doing, maybe talk to some other teachers or somebody down the hall and bounce it around. And when they tell you it'll never work, then go for it. <laughs> Number five, take intellectual risks. Mark, a middle school teacher, explained, creativity needs to be about the ability to make mistakes and to learn from those. When students see that kind of risk-taking and process, I think it helps them understand how to do things well themselves. Ultimately, what students will gain from your class is not necessarily all content knowledge. Often, it's how you approach things. So, be willing to try new things. Take responsibility for the success of your classroom. So, how can I teach with creativity? Here are just some general ideas that you can try. 
Allow students to doodle or write about what you are reading to get their creative juices flowing. Definitely use different voices or accents when reading stories to the class. And you have to model that in order to expect them to read in something other than a monotone. Dress up in costumes of characters. It would be very interesting if Marco Polo showed up one day or some other character from history. Turn your room into the environment of what you are learning about. So if you're studying insects right now, there are insects all over the place or the jungle, it looks like a jungle. Lower elementary will especially enjoy that. Travel brochures. So you're studying a place in geography. Have them create a brochure about what it would be like to travel there instead of just uh, generating a report or notes about some foreign country. Try foreign foods, especially in geography class or social studies. Try some olives and some spicy things from India. And don't forget to tell stories. Stories can spark creativity. And allow choice. Students will be more creative if they have a choice in what they can create than if they are assigned to create a said thing. Now, they will need guidance. So when I say choice, they probably won't come up with the greatest thing but you can give them several options. So you can say, do you want to create this? Do you want to do a poster? Do you want to do a written report? Or do you want to do a drawing? And you would specify what each one would involve, but you allow them to, to choose. It's amazing what that does to motivation. Even if it's assigned what they will be doing, even if they have a choice among the assignments. And something else I'll say is make sure Try to have your students create as much as possible. So instead of uh, spending all the time filling in worksheets and sitting there listening to you, try to have them create something about what you're learning. Hang this up on the walls, okay? The walls of your classroom. When someone walks into your classroom, they ought to be able to tell what you're studying because there's student work hanging on the walls. You know, this is what we've been studying. This is something the students made about what we've been studying recently. Uh, instead of having to go over to their desk and open up the workbook and see what they've been studying. Give them chances to create and display what they're learning and studying. You know, one of the reasons students don't enjoy school so much is partly, there's many other reasons, but Partly because it's so predictable. They know, they think they know exactly what's going to happen next. So if it's too predictable, they will invent creative activities to engage their creative side. Whether it's throwing things around or writing notes or drawing pictures of you. So, variety is the spice of life, okay? But notice, spices aren't entrees by themselves. So you do need to have the content, but try to have creativity in how you present the content. Creativity is not something you do by itself. Today we are going to be creative. Creativity is um, a way you go about presenting and doing your content. How can I teach you with creativity? 
Here are some ideas, uh, some phrases, some questions, and some brainstorming uh, ideas you can use. So first of all, uh, this could be in writing or just discussion, small groups or as a class. Here are some starter phrases that encourage creativity. So devise your own way to get to the moon, for instance. List ways to develop character. Or make a one-of-a-kind balloon popper machine. I usually do that every other year in seventh and eighth grade. They have a mouse trap and they have a balloon. And the assignment is to get the mouse trap to pop the balloon. And they have to have at least three steps in between of cause and effect in order to get the balloon popped by the mouse trap. Hmm. Everyone makes a one-of-a-kind. Let me tell you that. So. It could, that could be something you actually do, or this could be a writing assignment. You know, make a one-of-a-kind school that's different than any other school in the world. So think about inserting some of these as ways to encourage creativity. Or questions to diversify thinking. What would have happened if the South would have won the Civil War? What would have happened if the British would have won and crushed that rebellion back around 1776. What if there was no Thomas Edison? Would we have light bulbs? If so, how would have we gotten them? Or would we have something else instead? Again, this could be writing, could be discussion. It could just be inserted uh, as an activity when you're studying one of these things. What are some unusual uses for a car, a pet, You've heard it rains cats and dogs sometimes. A phone. What would the opinions be from a different point of view? Yesterday we learned about compassion. And being in someone else's shoes is crucial to compassion. So as kingdom educators and kingdom workers, being able to see something from somebody else's point of view is crucial. You know, what would the democratic side be like? What would it be like? What do the Amish think? You know, why don't the Amish drive cars? What about the Russians or the North Koreans nowadays? Why are they building bombs? Why do they feel threatened? Or what would it be like to be a Muslim? Reverse brainstorming. These are pretty much self-explanatory, but if you're studying pollution, brainstorm ways to increase pollution instead of reducing pollution. Or increase consumption of water instead of conserving the consumption of water. Or promoting more wars instead of minimizing wars. So one of the ways to learn about things is by taking it apart and thinking about, you know, why is it this way? And then how would we put it back together? When something's leaking, where's that leak coming from? You have to, uh, it, it doesn't work when water's leaking, it doesn't work just to paint over it. Um, it's going to come out again. So where's that leak actually coming from? You have to take things apart in order to know how to get there. <clears throat> and my final slide goes over just some basic ideas for different content areas. How can I teach with creativity in literature? One idea would be alternate endings. So write your own ending to the story. What if it would have happened differently? How do you think it should or could have ended? 
or freeze a moment. Um, this is when students, you try to make the other students guess what part of the story, maybe it was a favorite or important part of the story, and so students could be in groups or it could be individually, and they freeze as a statue of something that was happening. It could be a group of students, three of them are having a conversation, they're frozen a moment in time, and the other students are supposed to guess, oh yeah, that was that part of the story where this was happening. Math. I already said go out and measure the height of a tree to learn about the Pythagorean theorem. Go to the grocery store, figure out food costs. In science class, alphabet or picture books. So a lot of times in science there's content to learn and sometimes we put them on flashcards or traditionally you just write them in your notebook. How about having them create a little picture book either from A to Z, 26 pages, with important terms from this section and then draw a picture to illustrate each one. So it has the term, definition, a picture to illustrate it, or it could be, so the alphabet book would be exactly from A to Z, or it could just be a picture book with the 10 most important terms from this section. Collections, models, projects. This fall it's going to be time for seven and eight to do an insect collection again. Or they could build a model of something. Um, or projects, I already mentioned the balloon popper project, or a lot of people build uh, toothpick bridges or popsicle stick bridges to learn about engineering and see if you can create one stronger than anyone else. In social studies, you could have a class newspaper, so you just studied about the Civil War. Everybody needs to write an article about an important event that just happened, or a letter to the editor. You know, why is just anything that's in a newspaper the class can each contribute some part and compile a newspaper about the topic you're studying. That can then be hung on the bulletin board to impress all the parents that walk in. Or a mock trial to learn about the justice system or a particular case in history. So those, uh, this is not intended to be a comprehensive list. It's just a couple examples of what you could do in different content areas and I'm hoping to encourage you to be creative and go and go out and find creative things to do. <clears throat> there are teachers and then there are educators. Um, I'll finish with a story after which you can close your notebooks. There was a school where the girls uh, were in the practice of using lots of lipstick and they also got in the habit of putting lipstick on the mirror with their lips and leaving those marks behind. Well, they were told no and uh, didn't work. They continued doing it. So the principal came up with a creative idea. The principal took the janitor and the girls into the restroom and the principal said, this is a lot of work for the janitor to clean these marks off the mirror every time after you put these marks from the mirror with your lips. So, janitor, would you show him how much work it is to do this? Sure. So he took his squeegee and went over to the toilet, dipped it in, and wiped off the mirror. And that took care of the problem. Thank you. This recording and many others are available through Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. Order online at www.christianlearning.org or call 877-222-5555.
4769.